Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I, I am so pleased to be back here to talk to you about my next episode and my next guest. But before I introduce him, I want to say how pleased I am with the success, and I'm not being deluded, the success of my podcast. I know it is relatively new, but I have been so impressed with the downloads. And just to give you some stats, 15 countries already have downloaded my podcast. And 15 countries, three are under dictatorship rule. I wonder why. And the remaining 12 are democratic nations. But I just want to say to those who have downloaded my podcast, thank you so much. It gives me a lot of encouragement. Now, I, uh, I have often been criticized for talking for too long before I bring my guest. So I am learning very quickly that uh, I should uh, correct that. But I want, I am so pleased very, very pleased to introduce you to my next guest. You know, uh, one of the things I like about Obama is that he has, not that I'm comparing myself to Obama because I have no influence or power, is that Obama uh, is always reduce, always publicizing um, the list of songs that he likes for the year, all the recommendations. And I remember someone saying to me, President Obonjo, how do you relax before you go on stage? And uh, nobody has ever asked me about the type of music I like to listen to. And I know as you look at me as an African president, you expect me to listen to the likes of Afrobeat, you know, I go die, that kind of music. I was raised, for those of you who don't know, uh, even though I am a Laugh Republic citizen, before I got disillusioned about Nigeria, uh, I was raised in Nigeria, but I was raised like an Ajebota. And I will explain what I mean by Ajebota. I, my father raised me listening to jazz music, uh, El Clou, um, George Benson, Ray Charles in Nigeria, believe it or not, where you had the likes of Fela, Felix Liberty. And some of you listeners might not understand what this actually means, but I always felt like an outsider in Nigeria because of the music I listened to. I never felt I fitted in at all. They called me the Ajebota, the Oyibo boy. You're supposed to be back in England. Look at the sort of music you are listening to. When my boys were in Fela, my, my classmates were listening to Fela, I was listening to El Clue. Cut the long story short, I arrived in England in 1985, and I reckon probably about three or four years later, I was living in Hackney, and I walked into this shop in Dalston, and I saw this album cover. I think it was a CD, and it, 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 it was Ola Onabule. And I was obviously attracted by the name, a Nigerian name, but the way it was packaged, I said, this has to be my kind of music. It can't be, it can't be, it can't be Felix Liberty or Chris Okotia. This has to be my kind of music. So I took it home and I listened to the music. And geez, I was not only pleasantly surprised, I told all my brothers and sisters, because we have such a large family, to say, get, I think I found. The, the El Clue of Nigeria, the George Benson of Nigeria. This guy is so good. And um, I followed him, uh, followed his career. And then I remember going to watch him at Smolensky's. And uh, I went to Smolensky's with a, a lady at the time that I was uh, trying to impress, you know? <laughs> so I, I went to Smolensky's and uh, this man, made me propose to this woman when I got home after listening to his music at Smolensky's. And I, I married the woman. And so <laughs> good for you. <laughs> good for oh you. my good Lord. Yes. The extent of my powers. Yes, extent of your powers. So, um, so on a serious note, I've always appreciated his music. I want to introduce you to a British Nigerian singer songwriter, Ola Onobule. I mean, it, he has been around for quite a while. He's done his own thing, stood alone. And I've really just appreciated that. And there's one thing he said, and he doesn't know uh, that, he, uh, that I know about this. He said something about his latest album, which I thought resonated with my presidency and my comedy career. And I just want to read it out to you before I bring him on. He said, tribute to the immensely brave people who despite not wielding real power like me, I don't have any power whatsoever, can influence the world, dare to stand alone and be the first to declare an uncomfortable and powerful truth. That resonates with me because 
if you are creating something different, if you're creating something that makes you stand alone, I mean, I call myself president. I have no power whatsoever. I'm a fictional <laughs> president. <laughs> but I do believe I can make a lot of changes. And that's one of the reasons why I have brought Ola Onobule to If Comedians Rule the World. So please, let's just welcome him. Ola, it's nice to see you here. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that is probably the grandest in, uh, introduction I've ever had. I've waited all these years to actually hear such beautiful words spoken about me and what I've done. Uh, and I have one small bone to pick with you. You have a lot of power. You have a lot of influence. Well, thank you. I watch your 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 you know your chats and your conversations and your they're not really jokes. It's powerful satire. Mm -hmm. I know what you're saying. I know what your targeted aim is. I know what you're trying to make people see, and I can't describe it as anything other than powerful. You have a laugh, but at the same time, you know your brain is kind of uh, moved around a little bit in your skull, and you see the world a little differently afterwards so i would i would contend that you have a lot of power you see you see this is what this is what this is what happens in democracy you know if it was dictatorship you wouldn't even be able to talk to me that way <laughs> so Ola, look welcome uh, i want to i want to know the man behind your music but before you start i how have you been coping in terms of the lockdown because the comedy industry is very similar to the music industry in terms of not being able to perform to audiences how have you coped how have you but, uh, you know, what, what have you been doing? Uh, it, it started s slowly. I was shocked, like everyone else, you know, kind of stunned into uh, immobility and, you know, inaction and just kind of like a weird kind of torpitude, like a lizard in the, in the sun sort of thing, you know. Um, and then very slowly, I started to get a measure of the fact that this thing could be existential. You know, it could mean the difference between when it all fades away. I, first of all, I, I realized that it's gonna go on for a long time. Um, and then I got a sense that when it goes away, some of us in, in my line of work, and I'm sure in your line of work, will not be doing the thing we were doing when it started. That we, you know, it would just mean that we, we have to, we're forced into something else. And that scared the life out of me, but in a good way, in a positive way. It meant that I got my thinking hat on started to think of strategy what can i do that um it means that I, I i i get a chance to you know exercise my musical muscles give my adrenaline a place to go but also stay in contact with my audiences and of course live streaming uh, social media you know all the things that you're doing you know mm -hmm. I, I i see you in that uh, same kind of space doing mm -hmm. what you're doing and uh, and I feel like yeah, this is a, this is a brother who's, you know, who's understood that we've got to stay connected with the people mm -hmm. who want to listen to us. And uh, so I've been putting on a monthly live stream, wow. been uh, rearranging some of my songs that maybe got lost on some of uh, the other albums, in new and interesting ways, you know, um, and working on, you know, my songwriting skills and trying to make sure that when I come up with a new album. But I find a new way of saying new things and all of that kind of stuff. So just trying to stay engaged and stay in it and not give myself the opportunity to let my head, you know, start wandering into the dangerous, lonely, sad, defeatist places that I think sometimes artists can find themselves because our brains are expansive. There's so many rooms we can wander into and some of them we should just seal off and <laughs> not go in. <laughs> I think I, I, I hear you. I think for me, it was, I've had to learn new skills and obviously the podcasting is one. Uh, but also I was going to ask you in terms of, because I was able to build my audience as I, as I continue to perform, which I think is very similar to you. Wait, have you been able to discover new audiences as a result of live streaming? Yes, I have. I mean, uh, I don't know if you, if you, if you uh, find this uh, thing that the place that you were always scared of going for all of your preconceived notions of what it will be like can actually be the warmest, the nicest, the most receptive place. You know, I don't know, maybe there's a, a town that you, you, you before you enter it, you just think, 
they're not going to get my comedy. They're not mm. going to get what I'm saying. Mm. And then they're the warmest, nicest audience, yeah. you know, you've come across. Similarly, I've kind of seen a lot of, uh, before this uh, COVID situation, I've seen a lot of artists doing live streaming and I've kind of thought, oh, that's that's a hip, young, new thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a baba like me, you know, connect online, it will be creepy. Uh, you know, just all my misconceptions. It hasn't been the case at all. People have been so receptive. Mm. Um, the medium lends itself to um, instant interaction, mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. like what they're thinking in the moment. Mm -hmm. You'd never get that in a live gig, you know, it, for all of its visceral connection, which yeah. it has, unique thing. People don't get to write their thoughts to you and you see them on a screen. Yeah, yeah. You know? uh, so it, it's new, it's, uh, it's a new adventure, but very enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting to talk about that connection online because certainly for me, when I started as uh, I, I studied Obama and uh, oh, so the whole idea was to for people to like me before I even got on stage, <laughs> if that makes sense. So I was doing comedy sketches and people were already liking Prisoner Bonjo before I even started performing, if that makes oh. sense. So they were just yeah, exactly. Um, but just touching on this bit about the new skills and going out of your comfort zone, it's really interesting how, certainly for me, podcasting is one. If someone had said to me a year ago, try and do podcasting, I mean, I'm on TikTok. I don't know if you know TikTok. And I avoided TikTok for so many months. Okay. And then someone said to me, go on TikTok. And I have to say to you, I have gone viral on TikTok. Amazing. Honestly, <laughs> I have people, young people, I'm talking 15, 16, telling me, President Obonjo, you should come to America and come and run. We will, we... <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> get out of hand. You know that. Don't yeah. You? <laughs> but all I, you know, the, the thing about it, is it, it got to a stage so what just very briefly what happened was i responded to uh, the boko haram incident recently where 13 i think 33 farmers were killed and i wrote on twitter and i said i think it's foreign powers that are to blame and this 15 year old at the time responded to me from tiktok saying no it's not foreign powers it's actually uh, northern elders i, I want to come and talk to you on your podcast about it and we had a chat and this guy sounded like a 21 year old. So the point I'm trying to make is that the future audiences, yes. uh, we're already tapping into them through social media. They are the ones who will, if we're not, if we're certainly, I'm still gonna be alive. Um, <laughs> they're the ones, they're, they're the ones, they're the ones who are gonna come to our concerts, comedy shows, because they've invested, you've invested in them online it's just it's unbelievable and and then the other thing you mentioned about artists um and i'm sure it's the same with um, with 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 um, musical performance a lot of comedians really felt felt really depressed by not even being not performing and you know you could you could easily wallow in self-pity but the point i always say to everyone is look at the number of people who have taken advantage People are making money out of this pandemic, rightly or wrongly. People are getting jobs. People are being signed, into, uh, you know, either music or comedy. People are actually making something good out of this. So what is your excuse? Yes. What is your excuse? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that uh, my uh, manager said to me was that, um, so what, what are the limitations to your creativity and who's placing those limitations? Wh wh when does it stop and why? Mm. What's the, you know, uh, assumed uh, reason that you're, you're, you're creating in your mind for mm. why it stop? You, you mm. know, it should be this amorphous, endless thing that you just keep expanding no mm. matter what. In fact, the more people are um, uh, uh, hemmed in by lockdowns and, you know, social distancing and all of that kind of stuff, the more they're going to need to consume what we do. Mm. You know, they're they're going to want to have, be amused by us, entertained mm. by 
made to think by us you mm. hear music and all that kind of stuff so now is your time step forward and mm. and do the thing before you do okay questions for you about your music so ola onobule why jazz why <laughs> tell me how it all began what 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 influenced you to go into that type of music which i would say again is just brilliant just really it's it's just mind blowing uh, yeah, there's there's the, there's the song i used to sing at one point my wife said are you getting addicted to this song the hat of lead i just oh. was just yeah, but yeah yeah because <laughs> i'm sure she won't mind me saying this before i met her i had someone else and it took a while for us to you know disconnect and just move on and that music that, that lyrics just resonated with me and i used to play it a lot and she said okay fine it looks like you haven't for, you haven't forgotten this girl so maybe <laughs> maybe you should go back to her yeah but but the the music is it's it's different it's not what you would expect i get it but and i don't know i, I see that you have a lot of white audiences rather than black audiences is the same with my comedy i get more white people appreciating what i do than black people at one point i remember going to a black gig and i did very well and i said guys you know this is this is surprising you know the first five minutes you guys were not laughing no wonder michael jackson wanted to turn white you know? <laughs> oh wow <laughs> yeah yeah i, I know one of the things I absolutely admire you and all comedians for is the goal, the fact that you can say the thing we're all thinking, but no one would dare say it. <laughs> people give you the license to say it. Yeah, Man, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, we've got, to put, we've got to do, we've got to do the our spiel singers mm. and come across like, hey, yeah, now I'm going to sing you a song when really we're thinking something a bit more. <laughs> than that, but we've got to be, you know. Yeah. Uh, but in, in answer to your question, um, I, I was, when you were talking earlier on, you said your father introduced you to Earl Clue and George Benson, et cetera, et cetera. I was feeling a bit envious because my story was slightly different. My dad was very supportive of uh, my love, my love of music. He would um, drive me to choir practice and to talent competitions and all of that kind of stuff. We had the tacit understanding that I was going to be a lawyer. You know, so I, I uh, came back to school here and, you know, and followed the, I followed the script. I came back, uh, went to school, finished school, went to law school and I was doing that and I was wow. going according to the plan. And in my third year, the, the, the roundabout the last term of my third year, whew, I looked at the whole law thing. I'd failed a couple of exams and all I needed to do was retake them and then I was in. That's it. You know, I'm, I'm there. And I looked at this whole thing and I just thought, no, if I sign on the dotted line, that's me, a lawyer for life. And I knew that I loved uh, music. So whilst I was thinking all of that stuff, um, I was uh, one evening around that period of time, I was walking through the West End and I was singing to myself, which is what I would do all the time. I'd always be kind of singing and I would be kind of scatting, just playing with notes, playing with sound. I didn't know what I was doing, but that's, you know, what it was called at the time. A guy was walking next to me and he was looking at me and I was like, ah, who's, 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 who's this guy? <laughs> What does he want? Who's this weirdo? And he's checking me out. And I'm thinking, okay, okay, come on. You know, you drop your arms. You think I'm ready for whatever this guy. <laughs> you know, he says, wow, so you're a jazz singer. Wow. I said, no, I'm not. I'm just making noises. He said, no, no, you're a jazz singer. You sound like a jazz singer to me. I said, I don't know. Okay, all right, man. If that's what you think. I'm, I'm. He said, look, no, no, seriously. I'm playing a gig. Uh, down the road at the uh, Pizza Express. Uh, why don't you come and sit in with the band? Wow. I thought, okay, what's this guy talking about? So I, I went along. And true enough, he's there at the piano. He's the pianist with the band. And the guys in the band are like the top jazz musicians in Britain. Wow. You know, uh, 
a guy called John Paracelli, a guy called Dave Lewis on sax, uh, Ralph Salmons on drums. Mm. These were all the top jazz players. I sit in with them. Uh, they ask me to call a tune. I call a tune. You know, at the end of the tune, the, ba- the, the audience is going mad. The band's going, yeah, yeah, you want to come? <laughs> you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I go in the next day and I drop out of law school. Wow. And I'm in with the band and I'm working with the band and their te- and someone gives me a real book and says, go and learn lots of jazz standards, go and do this, go learn, you know, and, and all of a sudden that's my life. So now I have to tell the parents. <laughs> so now I have to tell the folks back home and, uh, and that was just, oh, it was dramatic. It was crazy, it was scary. The world ended and started again about three or four times in the, in the middle of the whole discussion and the ensuing weeks. But eventually, um, with time, you know, one parent took a little longer than the other, but eventually they just decided to see that this is what I was doing. And, you know, the worry, the concern, in, and you, I'm sure you know, in Nigerian pa- pa- uh, families, you mentioned Fela earlier on. Mm-hmm. Ah, my domo fella but for those who don't speak Yoruba what I'm saying is that oh my god he's going to join Fella's band and Fella was a yeah. you know very uh, 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 um, uh, what's the word um, not typical of a Nigerian yeah. in any way shape or form he was a rule breaker in every way whatever the uh, you know the way the path of conformity was he would go in the other direction <laughs> so the thought your parents would have back then is that god this kid is lost he's going to be smoking a huge reefer everywhere and he's going to have friends <laughs> and all that kind of. and then of course they saw that I, I was i was leaning for a more you know a different thing that was mm less about lifestyle and more about you know figuring out the nuts and bolts of music and uh the, the rest is uh, history you know, just, yes i i, I it's interesting you mentioned fella because my my mom he now lives in the united kingdom and mm-hmm. fella was uh on tv recently there was a documentary about fella i think it was last week and my mom even when i told her i wanted to be a comedian she always said eh? <laughs> over my dead body Ah, a clown over my dead body Uh, yeah Uh, so even she wouldn't let me go to Fela's shrine and uh, it was two weeks ago Fela was on tv bbc my mom called me and she said ah bankole eh? Fela is on tv Uh, make sure you make sure you watch him I said mommy me watch Fela you didn't let me watch Fela now you understand the impact of fella and you understand the change all the things that that's one of the reasons why you are in england because you know the, the way the nigerian government uh, treated you now you understand what fella was actually saying and she said ah bro, I didn't know that. you know bankoli that ties in yeah with what you said a few minutes ago about you know the audiences that we have mm. and the constituents of the audiences that we have mm. um it's i don't know what that is about but sometimes uh uh having our people hear mm. what we're saying mm. is a little more difficult i don't you know for years i used to used to perturb me mm. that i i would say that i didn't have more nigerians and mm. africans mm. in my audiences mm. uh but what i've come to understand is that the guys who do find it and who do stay with it are yeah. looking for something and that's something that i'm hoping to provide so yeah. it's a, you know it makes sense more than if they were just there because ah we heard one nigeria singing in mm-hmm. that way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, and, and yeah and I, and I think certainly when i when i discovered your music and i was listening to your music i listened to the likes of shadi adu as well tunde bayewo and you, you, i'm sure you've heard this before you're prisoners of your own background so i was born in liverpool i went back at the age of five and then came back at the age of 15. But whatever happened in Liverpool five years ago was what formed my, my foundation. Yeah, do, do you understand what I'm saying? So, and I have, I have no regrets whatsoever in, in any shape or form. But it's just really interesting because I, in terms of 
I, I, I have, I have um, age mates now who admire what I do, but they also have regrets about things that they wanted to focus on that they couldn't focus on. So I know for a fact that before I started performing comedy, I was very, very unhappy because I knew I wasn't following my passion. Do you know what I'm saying? I just, I just felt so unhappy until I just got on the stage and I very similar. I just went into a, a, a comedy club. Actually, what happened was I went to MC a Nigerian wedding. And it happened to be a Nigerian wedding, Oyibo and Niger, and they wanted Ajapota to come and MC. So I MC. <laughs> <laughs> so you can do the space, space, space English. <laughs> you need to create, you need to create another character called Ajapota. <laughs> Ajapota. No, no, I have been thinking about it. I have been thinking about actually I've been thinking about a comedy sketch called Ajapota. It is. It, it's. It's. it's, it's we'll come and watch you. Thank you. I, I'm planning. I'm planning. <laughs> and um, it. So I, it was. It was. It, as I was there, 300 people, massive 300, and I was just doing my thing. And Nigerians are all naturally funny, anyway. You know, we're just naturally funny. The comedy comes. You learning the techniques, but we're just naturally funny people. And I went in there, mind blowing. 300 people. This white guy saw me. Very similar to your story. And he said, oh, have you, I have never been to a Nigerian wedding where the MC is so funny like this. Have you ever tried stand-up comedy? I said, What's, what is stand-up comedy? What is? <laughs> and then he said, okay, let's go to the comedy store one day. So we exchanged numbers. I went to the comedy store and it happened to be a day when they will ask audience members to, to come on stage. I went on stage, did five minutes. No, I wasn't prepared for it. I just said what I needed to say. People were really? laughing, smacking, blah, 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 blah. Amazing. I thought, yeah, but let me tell you, two days, three days later, going back to stage again, I died on my, I died on my ass. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because the technique, you know, you need to learn the technique. But yeah. it's just really interesting because I know there are people out there who, and there's nothing wrong in doing what you need to do to, to, to earn a living, but not, not genuinely happy because there are things they should have done that they yeah. never got the chance to do. And I don't think people understand what it means to, be, to yeah. be doing something that you really love. You know, I live and breathe this regular 24 seven. Absolutely. 24 seven. If I spend a minute thinking of you in any, knowing you as I, you know, mm -hmm. from what I've seen of all your work and everything, mm -hmm. I thought for a minute the idea of you doing something else, be it, I don't know, behind a clerk's desk or mm. an accounting firm or whatever, mm. that was what you were doing exclusively. Mm. Because I know it's, it's possible for people to do two Both. things, yeah, yeah, yeah. find fulfillment in one mm. and the other one provides their living. Mm. That's, that's feasible, but if it's when it's the exclusivity mm. that you have to wave goodbye to something mm. that is literally, you know, uh, the physical facsimile of half of you. Yeah, before before I made that before I made that leap, comedy was like my mistress. You, you know, it was like my mistress. <laughs> my, the wife might be listening. <laughs> she understands. She Yeah, but she knows. She knows. Like, she even knows I'm talking to you today. So let's just touch on this. Um, at what point do you did you just realize that you don't need to worry about? not having black audiences. And it's really, oh, the other thing I was going to say is whenever, because I travel all over the UK, so I go to English villages and maybe when I arrive at an English village, there's a black man there and he's the only black man. And, mm -hmm. you know, and the, <laughs> and the connectivity, it's, it's obvious that maybe he hasn't seen, even seen a black comic for a while and all of a sudden, boom. You're right there. Yeah, yeah. Even if there was one the other day. I just said, "Oh, you're my father. You can't remember that you're my father. You left me so many <laughs> years." <laughs> but at what point did you just stop worrying about those things and just say, "Look, this is this is what what what?" Yeah. Well, this is where my manager comes into the picture again. Okay. Uh, around the time of the crash. Just before the crash, I was doing a lot of traveling around mm -hmm. Britain, you know, doing gigs. Uh, mm. I was beginning to come to terms with the fact that, uh, you know, I, I wasn't making a connection with, I thought the music I was making was quote unquote black music. Okay. And the audiences for black music are black people. Um, and then I started to discover that there are people in Britain 
who have a, a, a you know an uncompromising passion for this kind of music they know it they understand it they're educated about it mm -hmm. uh, you know and i'm very slowly in my head i started to think love is where you find it mm -hmm. you, know? you go you, you you arrive at the place uh, uh what's that uh, luther vandross so song if you can't be with the one you love love the one you're with yeah you know um and so all of those kind of thoughts started to get into my mind and she kind of gave me the kick and she said look this thing is not um, provincial. What mm. you're doing is provincial. Mm. It's global. It's mm. international. You should be able to find yourself in China and make a powerful connect, human connection with them. Mm -hmm. You should find yourself in South America mm -hmm. and make a powerful human connection with them. And if you find yourself in Lagos, you should be able to make a powerful connection yeah. with the people yeah. in front of you. Yeah. Wherever you go, it should be global. So get out of uh, this uh, an urban or provincial uh, mindset mm -hmm. and realize that this thing is only worth anything if all human beings can buy into mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And that was that was very that was it took a while for me to catch up to where she was. Mm -hmm. But very slowly, I mean, and so she started getting, uh, looking for gigs outside uh, the UK and they mm -hmm. started to come in. And so I find myself in front of a French audience, a Dutch wow. audience, uh, German, Russian, uh, Mexican, you know, Chinese. And, and you, you really start to hone your skill because then it stops being um, cultural. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It stops being a cultural thing, and 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 it, and and it, and, it, and it begs something else of uh, of the creativity, and even mm -hmm. and the songs that have been written since I've started to slowly get out of my head that mm -hmm. because I, I you know there's a part of our psyche that wants the approval of our own, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, like your father. You want your father to put your his mm -hmm. arm around. Mm -hmm. you. My son, mm -hmm. you're mm -hmm. proud of you. Mm -hmm. and the extension of that is you want your people just to, to be to holding you shoulder high, mm -hmm. saying, Ah, he's one of our own. Mm -hmm. no, you don't know him. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. There's yes. something in our psyche that wants that. Mm -hmm. um, it's under it's coming to understand that there that that's a prize, mm -hmm. but there are bigger prizes yeah. Yeah. as well. And to be able to find myself in a room full of 5,000 people who don't speak my language, who are Indonesian. And at the end of the evening, there are tears in their eyes and they're saying, you make me, and they're trying to indicate to you that you make me feel mm. and they're doing this. And mm. they're, they're doing all of that kind of stuff. And you know what they're saying, even though we don't, we don't yeah. share words. Yeah. That's another kind of, you know, puff your chest out moment and feel good about yourself yeah. but you'll stop for the other thing wow wow wonderful story so let's talk about politics uh, yes. because some of your some of your songs have it's either you're trying to change people's views about uh political situations so i know i haven't heard it fully yet but i know you've got a new album called pointless yes yeah okay so um in terms of your do you see yourself as a uh, like the likes of um, Fela, Bob Marley, in terms of changing people's perceptions or trying to change the way governments, governments are run uh, on a serious note? Or are you just, is it just easy listening with some subtle messages? Are you, do you see yourself as an activist or not? You know, the crazy thing is, I tease my kids who think that I am the worst dad joker of all, you know. <laughs> I tell them that, you know, I tell them of some mythical time back in the past when I was like a Dr. Love, you know, yeah. and, and I was able to just kind of make everyone in the room feel love because I was yeah. spreading it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and that is because my dream, my fantasy is to write the ultimate album of love songs. Mm -hmm. But when I get, when I sit down to write, and this has happened now about maybe six or so of the last few albums, uh, I'll start writing this, you know, uh, mythical, imagined love song um, 
uh, uh, opus that I'm going to write. Mm -hmm. You know, this work to defeat all works that I've ever done, all about love. And I'll get two or three songs in and start to realize that I spend the best part of my day talking politics. Mm -hmm. I love to debate politics. Mm -hmm. da -da -da -da. And I'm not putting it in the work. So very slowly, I'll build up a catalog of songs that are going to go on the, on the next album and mm -hmm. find out that two or three of them were love songs and 30 of them were po political songs. Wow. So, <laughs> well, so in a way, almost inadvertently, I end up when I have to choose which of the uh, 10, 12 or 14 songs are going to end up on an album. I find that the majority of them are political. Um, and so that's how I've ended up being this person. But if you, I mean, what you do, which is so artfully, skillfully, satirically, mm -hmm. you know, political, I admire that so much because I, I don't give my, in conversations, I wouldn't give my political opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's really interesting is the the are two things Dave. one is as you rightly pointed out when you're on stage you have a license even though the pc culture you have a license to say what you have to say but um what what people are beginning to get is when they see me in uniform they actually think oh yes he's the idi Amin dada of <laughs> uganda oh he's the abacha but actually you end up loving this dictator and you don't understand why you love the dictator. And what I'm trying to do is to say, look, before these dictators were, create, were, were called dictators, these were people who genuinely wanted to make a difference and change. You know, they, they all fought for independence. It, they only called them dictators because they fell out with the West, because, you know, either because of currency or, you know, so many other things, they just fell out. They put them there and they fell out, the likes of Mugabe, Gaddafi, just you know saying before they became brutal, these were decent people who genuinely well, were freedom fighters for their country. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly, exactly. And, 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 and that perception is is what the, the, the brutal is is what I'm trying to eradicate. Say, so look, actually, you can love a dictator. It, it's unbelievable. A lot. I remember my last gig just before the pandemic, this guy came to me and said, you are the first dictator I'm going to like. I don't know why I like you. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Creating great tensions in that man's life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but, but, but it, it's, it's all about changing. For me, it's all about the microphone is very powerful. Mm -hmm. And you use the microphone to change people's views about, especially about Africa. I mean, look at what's happening in the United States now. Is not is it not like Africa at the moment? <laughs> they need they need your advice. Difficult <laughs> period. You need to be cons uh, consulting. But I need to be, yeah, I need to be consulting. But um, yeah, so uh, tell me because this is really an opportunity for you to also plug your your album to to my listeners. So tell me a little bit more about your new album. How many albums have you done? Uh, I've done uh, nine for myself and three for uh, for you know for other people. So okay, okay, 12, 12 full album projects over the okay. years, but not under my own name. Okay. Um, this latest album is uh, called Pointless. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one one evening, I was on uh, social media, just going through my feed. I think it may have been Twitter, but it was quite possibly Facebook. Um, and as I scrolled past it, you know, you know how it stops on something and then it starts to play. Mm -hmm. And this whole scenario unfolded in front of me and it was the interior of a car. So someone in the car was filming mm -hmm. and the driver's in the line of sight of the camera. So you can see the driver of the car, he's got his hands, a black guy, dreadlocks, you know, and a policeman comes up to the window and there's a conversation that ensues. She's filming and occasionally she's leaning in and trying to get involved in the conversation. Anyway, within a, a, a minute or so of watching this thing, uh, the guy, the policeman, just pulls out his gun and just blast, starts blasting oh. away mm -hmm. into the interior of the car. And, you know, the uh, inevitable tragedy, um, you know, is revealed in front of everyone. But in, in, the, 
in the kind of um, melee of it all, the cameras moving around, the woman screaming and the horror and panic and all of that kind of stuff, you see in the camera that there's a three-year-old girl on the back seat. Or, you know, there's a young girl. I, I then, <laughs> then found out she was three years old. But there's a child in a child seat on the back seat. Um, and then the movie's over. And I'm sitting there covered in sweat, uh, tears in my eyes, uh, almost like in some kind of weird PTSD type moment wow. because I, you know, or bearings of what, mm. what, what's going on. And this, uh, be, this was in the wake of a series of these sorts of things that had been occurring, you know, for a few years leading up to that. And it was so distressing. And, and you know, just the sense of, ah, believe, this is enough. Wow. This is, this is enough. So I started writing a song and I wrote it from the perspective of the woman holding her dying lover in her arms and pleading with him not to leave her and her child behind. Stay with us, you know, hang out a while. Don't go. What am I going to, how can I face these people if you can't, if the three of us can't face them together? How can I, you know, vanquish? That song, I wrote it that night and within, I don't know, a month or so, I'd written about 30 songs. Wow. Because it was just pouring out of mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so this is one of these situations where prior to that, I'd written two or three love songs. And I thought, this is, this is going to be my love song. And they just got forgotten. They just got mm -hmm. set mm -hmm. up. And uh, the album evolved, and, and that's the one that I called Pointless. And, and I called it Pointless because I, I first started writing about that situation, but then I started to realize that really what I'm writing about is, you know, it's a philosophical question that I'm asking myself. What, mm. what is the purpose of violence? Mm. Why are we so violent? Why mm. are we violent to our, to our brothers mm -hmm. and our sisters? Or in fact, almost always more than anyone else. Mm. And then violent to anyone else who wanders across our path. Mm -hmm. And then violent to the planet when there's no one around to be violent to. What is that about? Mm -hmm. And when do we start correcting it in ourselves? Um, so it's one thing to point at other people and say, you did this, you enslaved me, you mm -hmm. oppressed me, whatever. But also, why do we do that? Why do we turn on ourselves? Why do we, you know, work so pointless? It mm -hmm. can be other or do less pointing. Wow, yeah. wow, powerful, powerful. And that was released in November? And that was released in November of, of okay. last year. Actually. Of last year, yeah. oh shit, last year. Yeah. Last year, wow. Yeah, you see, this is the thing with pandemic, you can't even remember what the day or time is. <laughs> <laughs> So honestly, it's like one of those sci-fi movies. Day honestly, honestly. So, um, what are your plans for the future? Obviously, we now have the vaccine. I'm not going to ask you whether you're going to take the vaccine or not. But assuming, <laughs> assuming, assuming the the pandemic was over, uh, live concerts again. Is that the plan? Live concerts again. Um, uh, there's been a lot of talk. A lot of people have heard the songs on pointless mm -hmm. and it started like a whisper but it started to build with a lot of people saying these songs thematically all work together mm -hmm. shouldn't it be a musical um and so a lot of talkers started you know we're kind of writing a libretto and oh, meeting wow. with various people who might be a part of you know the first beginnings of something that hopefully will exist in a year or so mm -hmm. as a musical so that's also another thing that's occupying my mind on the one hand. Uh, the live stream, as I said, is giving me joy. I do that every month. Um, and I, I can't imagine that after the, you know, this whole situation has gone away that I won't continue doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I've started to jot down ideas again for a, for a new album, uh, which is hopefully is going to be my love album. <laughs> I, I'm going to challenge you on that because having spent <laughs> having spent the last thirty or thirty-five minutes with you, I, I think your 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 that love song thing is not going to happen. It's just going to be always two or three. <laughs> I mean, have this. <laughs> 
the, the title of the podcast is called If Comedians Rule the World. And I know you're not a comedian, uh, you're a musician. Uh, but if you had the opportunity to rule the world, what would you do differently uh, as, a, as a musician? What would you, if you were in power? Because we do have comedians, and I mean not Boris Johnson or Donald Trump. We, the, we, the, the Ukraine, the Ukraine um, president used to be a comedian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so don't don't write me off. It could happen to me no, one day. No, no. <laughs> I would never, uh, leader, I would never do that. But on a serious note, when uh, me, when we get to the top. Please. Yes, I would. Uh, you will be. You will. You will. You will play at my inauguration, man. <laughs> That's what I was after. That's the gig I want. <laughs> but on a serious note. Yeah. If you if you if you found yourself in power, what would you do differently? Because one of the things I, I I realize about politics is that there are lots of people who are really passengers. They I call them. Uh, they all they do is just tweet and complain about their government. They don't really get involved in what's happening in terms of politics. They as you rightly pointed out, they're not aware that their voice is very powerful. That it could even be just one thing within their community. And, and they could make a difference. So, yeah, yeah. So what, what, what is it that you could, if you, if you were in power, or if, a man like you, you should be governor now. In, in like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, in I, I have a feeling that that's how so many of those positions are, you know, that's uh, obtained. If someone just says, a man like you, you should be governor now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it doesn't need to be any more complicated uh, than I, that. The guy just wakes up and just, I'm going to be governor. Allah told me yesterday in his kitchen, oh, you should be governor. And now I look at myself, yes, yes, you should be governor. Um, if, 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 I, if I rule the world, um, I think information is the power that mm -hmm. every single one of us should have. Um, and, you know, when you listen to all of the misinformation and, all, and how easy it is for people to imbibe any old hocus pocus, forget the scientific or mathematical or statistical evidence in front of them and just say, well, my auntie's uncle said that, you know, when the aliens came, they dropped the COVID in the red and the this and the that, you know, and stuff. All of that stuff is really perplexing for me because we exist in a world where people can live to the age of 70, 80 within a generation because of science and fact and maths and mm. statistics and all that kind of stuff. So, Education would be my bugbear. Okay. I would be obsessed about making sure that everybody, you know, was able to do empiric, uh, uh, reasoned thinking and observation mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, and knew the classics and and had a sense of their history and uh, and everyone else's history, you know, rather than mythology and lies and all of that kind of stuff. That would be my obsession. Yeah. Going on here, going on. <laughs> going on. <laughs> Look, it, it's been it has been uh, such an enlightening, uh, an enjoyable conversation. I, I am quite uh, honoured, and I say that because I I genuinely I genuinely love your music, and um, I wish you I wish you all the best uh, and success, uh, continued success, and definitely. And they are definitely when uh, the pandemic is over and there's a live concert, uh, I, I need to sit at the presidential area of your concert with my, with my, with my six wives. <laughs> we'll clear out three rows for you. <laughs> three rows. But thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Babake. <laughs> but thank you so much. You, I, I know you're a busy man, so uh, thank you for honoring me on this. And uh, I wish you well. Thanks for having me. My listeners, I hope, I hope, go on. Say it, say it again. I'm saying we absolutely love your work. Keep doing what you're doing. Look, I, I, I've said, I, I've said, I've said to people that uh, I, I, dictators, they die in office. So I'm, I'm <laughs> so don't, you know, I, I don't pray it happens, but uh, it, it's really interesting. You, 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 thanks, thanks for that words of encouragement because. Uh, yeah, certainly, certainly at this age, uh, the, my mates at times think I am going through some kind of midlife crisis. But uh, wow. well, yeah, definitely, because I just woke up one morning and I said I want to be an army officer. 
we're back to that again. <laughs> yeah, back to that again. But um, interesting enough, just like your parents, they now, because they see, I was going to ask you, why is it that when, it's when you get recognition that people then start to appreciate you? When you're actually yeah. struggling and, and, and doing all that stuff at the very beginning, it's like, I feel this shit, boy, I love like that. We go for a little get girlfriend, go get girlfriend, go after my war uniform, midlife crisis. Yeah, I just, I just don't <laughs> I don't Although, understand. The question is to be asked, does the uniform do anything in that regard? Because I've been thinking about one myself. In terms of what? A uniform. Does it, does it, does it improve anything? Um, it, it, it's really interesting because before I became a military president, I was a civilian president. So um, I, it was only when I started wearing the uniform that it went up another level. And, and, that's, and that's because I didn't realize, you know, you were talking about other cultures. And mm. that's one thing that we, certainly not for me, but in Nigeria at times, things have changed. But because people knew uh, Mugabe, they knew about Idiamida, people were so exposed. I mean, uh, last week I had the opportunity to go to um, the House of Lords on Zoom just to present an idea. And there was this oh. man, House of Lords, and he, he's a lord, and he remembers meeting Idiami Dada, and the way he was talking to me as if I was his son. When I met your father, blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's 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 just really interesting how people respond to things. But my view has always been try and find your own unique selling point. Stand, mm. try and stand alone and just believe, continue to believe in yourself. But yeah, I, I, I intend to do it till, till death, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Hola, so, I'm saying thank you to my Nigerian brother. I don't want you to get lost. I don't want you thinking, and I don't want the gamons thinking, oh my God, they're being racist. We're not, we're just, <laughs> <laughs> we're just appreciating each other. But thank you so much, Ola. I said it's my absolute pleasure, Kutokwe. And just one more plug. Where can people find you? Your website, that sort of thing. All the Facebooks, all the Instagrams, all the Twitters. I'm on all of those things. And my YouTube channel, you know, subscribe, uh, uh, come and like, follow, say hello. It's a very friendly place. I love, love, love chatting to people. So. I try to respond to every comment. So yeah, say hello. And if you do reference the fact that it's uh, through our, our beloved leaders um, podcast that you found that you found us so that, okay. we can, so that we have that in common. Listeners, make sure you follow him. If you don't, you know what I will do to you. Thank you. Goodbye. This show is part of Podomity, the podcast comedy network. We're the best kept secret on Acast. Why not laugh at what else we've got? Check out podomity.com now.